Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. I'm delighted to welcome, for this third of three podcasts, uh, Dr. Matt Longjohn, a physician with a background in public health who currently serves as Senior Director of Chronic Disease Prevention Programs at the YMCA of the USA. Prior to that, he was a fellow at the Alterum Institute. He was the founding executive director of the Consortium to Lower Obesity in Chicago Children and is currently on the faculty at the Northwestern University Medical School. Matt, welcome. Thank you, Kelly. So I'd like to hear about, I know that Y is doing some very interesting and progressive programs that I'd like to hear from you about. But before we get into that, could you give us some sense of the, the history and the scope of the YMCA and how many facilities it has and how many people are involved in Y activities in one way or another? Yes, the Y is a unique organization in the landscape of community-based organizations and nonprofits in the United States. Um, the Y is about 165 years old now. Uh, it was founded in Boston and um, grew from there. Um, there, uh, the Y is basically consists of a national organization which uh, serves as the resource center to all the local Ys and holds uh, charter agreements with all the local Ys. But then there are uh, over 900, in fact, um, at, at times almost 950 separate uh, nonprofits, each with their own CEOs, their own boards, et cetera, that subscribe to the, the overarching charter and share in the mission of the national organization. Um, across those 900-plus organizations, it turns out there's about 2,700 different bricks-and-mortar kind of facilities and over 10,000 different program sites where Y staff, uh, you know, sometimes leave their building and go to schools to run child care or are doing things in camps, et cetera. Um, so it turns out if you add all those things up that about 58% of U.S. households live within three miles of a Y and uh, somewhere between 75 and 80% of U.S. households live within five miles of a Y. So it's really a uniquely placed organization uh, and in the last several years has become very focused on serving the needs of health seekers as opposed to just fitness seekers. Okay, so you you'd mentioned that in an earlier conversation that we had that there was a period of time where the Y had developed this identity, intentional or not, as a a fitness facility, but in fact the Ys do much, much more than that. For the people who may not recognize all of the things that the Ys do, could you help fill out that picture? I'd love to. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, the Y, for a couple decades there, was very much um, focused on uh, kind of serving the needs of uh, a lot of different kinds of swim and gym kind of programs. Um, but um, over the last, uh, like I said, almost 10 years now, there's been this uh, really clear and purposeful organizational shift to serving people who maybe don't go to the Y to um, you know, build muscle uh, and achieve new levels of fitness, but, uh, or, but for people who are maybe struggling with uh, how to be healthy. And um, the Y as a movement is figuring out how to really help uh, those individuals and coach them through the kind of changes that um, individuals need to become more healthy. So can you give us examples of some of the programs that the Y has underway? Yeah. Um, you know, the bedrock for all of this started when uh, the Ys really got involved in the healthy communities movement, which we talked about in a previous podcast. Uh, but there are over uh, 200 Ys, I think or nearly 220 Ys, that are either at the center of or integral members of health coalitions in their communities. And they've built connections to health care providers and public health departments and 
um, you know, agencies on aging and a lot of different uh, kind and schools and a lot of different kinds of partners in those communities. And through the last eight years or so of work, they've actually been able to document 26,000 different policy changes um, that those coalitions have been involved in, either institutional changes for, you know, clean air or, um, you know, policy changes around vending machines or, uh, you know, even city-level licensure changes around um, child care and healthy eating standards, for example. Um, but um, that bedrock, that kind of community organizing bedrock, has now put the Y in a position to really work on evidence-based programs that utilize those kinds of coalitions and referral partners to put um, really clinical preventive services or, or um, you know, preventive services more broadly into the context of a why. And the kinds of programs I'm talking about are like the YMCA's Diabetes Prevention Program, which has been shown to reduce diabetes diagnoses 58% uh, over the period of time that the program runs. Uh, Programs like Live Strong at the YMCA, which works with uh, cancer survivors to help them build self-esteem, to help them improve their quality of life, uh, to help them uh, build core body strength so that they are less prone to falls or um, pneumonia or other uh, even recurrences of cancer. Physical activity has been shown to be an important preventive measure amongst cancer survivors. And um, when you add these things up, where you've got the breadth of the Y working in 10,000-plus communities, doing you know, really multiple levels of health service delivery or prevention uh, efforts, it's really um, where the organization wants to go, and, and I don't think you see that in the kind of typical gym and swim model. The diabetes prevention program in particular you talked about, would you mind explaining some of the components of that? Sure. It's a year-long program. Um, people have to screen into it. Um, if you show up at your local Y and you're interested in a diabetes prevention program, you may not get to participate for a number of reasons. First of all, it's a new program, and it's uh, still being uh, rolled out uh, nationally as fast as we can, but um, right now it's, uh, it's only in uh, 50 different Ys. By the end of the year, it'll be in nearly 80. Um, two years ago, it was only in two, so we're really rolling it out very quickly. Um, but um, there are still many Ys that don't have it. Uh, if your Y has it and you show up and you want to participate, you can't just you know, kind of walk off the street and expect to get in. You actually have to be an adult who's overweight or obese and have to have either an abnormal blood glucose level in the range of prediabetes, or you need to uh, take a paper-pencil test to demonstrate your risk for diabetes such that this program could be effective for you. And then in the year-long intervention, a, a, basically a group of people with similar risks is brought together, and a very skilled group facilitator and motivational interviewer using uh, an NIH-proven curriculum um, will walk everyone through a year worth of behavior change, and that's what's been showing these amazing results. Well, you get a sense of how potentially powerful this could be because it resides in the community where people are, the Y is considered a helping place to begin with, so you can see how people would be drawn there to do these sort of a things. Uh, these sort of things. Plus, it sounds like the cost could be remarkably low uh, in comparison to the specialty programs where that that were used to develop these kind of in, um, in, interventions in the first place. That's right. The NIH research showed that this intervention, um, this this year long intervention, cost about fourteen hundred dollars per person to deliver is what the NIH found the the cost of the program to be. 
when the Y runs it, it's uh, been shown to be about $350. So that's 25% of the cost of the intervention when run out of a clinical um, uh, environment, um, but with the same results. And those results have stood up to multiple peer review articles now looking at the efficacy of this thing. And uh, Secretary Sebelius just gave uh, the Y last fall a, a big award for the innovative way this is being disseminated in partnership with uh, payers. Uh, multiple insurers are working with our third-party administrator, the Diabetes Prevention and Control Alliance, to help us identify, to mine all their claims data, to get pre-diabetic people aware of and enrolled in this program. Um, and um, then they, those payers, reimburse the why, just like they would reimburse a doctor for the delivery of care. They're, deli they're reimbursing the why for the successful delivery of this evidence-based program and uh, only on a pay-for-performance basis. So the payers identify people who are at risk for diabetes. They send them to the Y. The Y delivers an evidence-based program. And when it's successful, the Y is reimbursed for uh, the care of those people. Boy, so that could make it accessible to great numbers of people. Yeah, our hope is eventually that uh, you know, Medicare and uh, um, Medicaid, et cetera, would also be able to follow this model. The program has been shown to be more than 70% effective in an older population. So um, there's great room for cost savings there. A recent article in Health Affairs projected that the cost savings, if you just allowed one five-year cohort of Medicare recipients to go through this program in the 100 largest cities, um, they projected that the cost savings on this would be easily be in the billions uh, over the course of the lives of the, those individuals, something like $14 billion. So when you look at you know, uh, the, the problem we're in in terms of health reform uh, and the need for health reform, health care costs spiraling out of control, community-based organizations like the Y, there are many others that could do this, but like the Y, um, should be a part of a, a community-integrated health system, part of the solution here. And, and that's really um, why we're so excited to be around the table with many uh, insurance companies and the CDC and payers as we roll out programs like this. So you're making the case that for every dollar invested in this by an employer, by a health insurance company, by the government, that you get much more than that in return by reduction in health care costs. Um, do you think that there's um, sufficient appreciation of this fact among employers, among the health care community in order to support programs like this? Everyone gets it. Um, you know, on a basic level, um, but when it comes down to it, everybody says, show me the data. And um, we are able to show that data such that thousands of employers have signed up. Major companies across the country um, have uh, turned this on as a benefit for their employees um, and, uh, you know, multiple payers as well, some of the biggest in the country. The first one that actually joined us in this effort was United Health Group, uh, the largest private provider of insurance in the country. Um, you know, there are a number of other payers now around the table. But what you're seeing as we talk about this is that, you know, there are clear returns on the initial investment. Um, there are clear cost savings. But what we are struggling with as a country is how to measure that cost savings um, and how to uh, really realize it on the books in the very short time cycles that people deal with. Um, the Congressional Budget Office and et cetera, they, they, the way they do their accounting um, often doesn't look more than a year or two or three years ahead. And that's where the real cost savings start to accrue. Um, you know, it actually looks like the return on investment that you make in this program 
it doesn't start to get realized until about year three, um, but then it it just blossoms um, such that you might have like a nine to one return on investment by year six. Um, so it's really uh, we just have to be more patient as a country when we think about prevention and demonstrating return on investment, and whether you're a company focused on quarterly returns and quarterly uh, you know stock prices, or if you're a, a CBO official. Uh, challenged to do a new way of accounting. Um, that's something that we all struggle with right now. So the this um, conflict between investing in something that brings long-term gains versus the short-term perspective that business has, you mentioned quarterly profits as an example of that, seems to create this tension that has to get resolved somehow that um, I could easily see a business CEO saying, well, if the maximum payoff for this isn't going to be realized for six, eight, nine years, I may not even be the CEO any longer. Mm-hmm. And so I'm investing all this money now where somebody who will be my successor will reap the benefits. Do you see that kind of attitude as part of the, the issue? Uh, I haven't encountered it so much in the business community. And like I said at the beginning, everybody gets it. They're just kind of challenged to deal with the systems and the infrastructure that's in place. For example... Um, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation is a new entity under the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services uh, in the federal government. And they are charged with developing and, and innovating around exactly these kinds of programs. But what they have to demonstrate when they want to turn on a new benefit uh, is they have to demonstrate cost savings, not only in the short window I described a minute ago, but it's also very difficult to demonstrate cost savings when you haven't been spending anything on prevention before. Uh, how do you improve on zero? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's kind of a systems challenge for people right now that's uh, really governed in some cases by law or regulation. You know, I, I'm really very grateful for you sharing this with us because these are highly innovative programs. And one could easily say, look to the YMCA now as a bellwether of what's likely to occur on a broader scale in the future. So thank you for the innovation and for sharing this with us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Our guest is Dr. Matt Longjohn, physician, public health advocate and expert and senior director of chronic disease prevention programs at the YMCA of the USA. Uh, Please visit our website, www.yalerudcenter.org. There you'll find resources of all types regarding diet, nutrition, and obesity, uh, including a list of podcasts from other excellent visitors to the Rudd Center. Thank you.